Well, Merry Christmas. Can we even say that anymore? Seems like we've got over that hump about saying Merry Christmas and we can say it and celebrate that and actually see that God is really moving in a, in a very powerful way when a couple of years ago it was offensive and now Christ is moving in a great and amazing way. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for coming to what we call Journey. Uh, we're excited that you're here and we're excited that God is on mission with us. He called us long ago and I guess long ago would be five years ago to be on mission of loving the world one person at a time. If you're visiting, a welcome. We love having people come and visit. If this is a place that you're looking for as, you, uh, as a home, that'd be great as well. But either way, we want you to take our mission. If you never come back or if you're going to go back to your church, take our mission and go and share the love of Christ with them and say, we need to love this world to make this world a better place. And our world is in desperate need of love. Amen. So if you are new, go back to the back uh, canopy out back there, and we'd love to give you some more information about who we are, what we are, and what we're about. Today I kind of want to start, uh, Dustin was talking about the parade. I want to share a little bit of the parade. Now just know that the camera adds 40 pounds to some people. Some of you 10, but some of us 40. So I think uh, uh, Tucker built this pretty cool video, so let's go ahead and run that. Every year, my heart just gets blown away by what God does when we go down the streets of Camarillo, singing songs and watching some people going, why are these Christian freaks down the road singing songs? And then seeing the other Christians celebrating and saying, thank God that somebody's willing to do this for our, for our great city. Amen. Hey, I want to start with some questions. Yeah, it's, it's always fun, and hopefully you'll join in and do some of it. If you've never walked in the parade, it's always a, a great time. And we've got a bunch of people doing other things. Jim and his wife were on tractors, and we had a few other people doing some other things, brownies and stuff. So it's always good to be a part of something and share the love of Christ with, with many people. Um, you know, I want to talk to you about leadership today. I want to ask some questions about leadership. I know we're coming into 2016, and for some of you, it's a political year. For others of us that trust in Jesus, it's going to be the same year regardless of who gets voted in. And I say that because I'm very political, and I've tried to let that go several years ago because I don't want to make that my God. My God is Jesus Christ. Amen? But let's talk about some leadership qualities. I want to just hear from you, what are some leadership qualities that we might need in this world? So go ahead and shout out. I've got a list of 10 qualities that Forbes has put up on the, on the board in a second that we'll talk about. But I want to hold back and I want to see if we can get some of those. So let me hear some. Wisdom. Something back there from Billy Keys. Something, I don't know, is that community? Community? Compassion from these women. Honesty, love, trustworthy, organized, 
humility. Billy Keys is on fire over there. Well, let's look at the list. Here's what Forbes says that you need to have to be a Fortune 500 person or a great leader in our country. Able to communicate, able to, yell, to get delegate, able to inspire, manage failures or setbacks, develop others, being honest, having a great attitude. Let me say that again. Having a great attitude. Creative, responsible, and confidence. That's what it takes, and this is what's been uh, derived from these Fortune 500 people. That's what we have in a leader. When we think about the, the, my question always comes, I'm a question guy, always asking questions. What does that mean? Well, how do you do this, right? The question always comes, how? When we think of our Lord and Savior as a leader, he has all of these And probably 150 more or 1,000 more. But even beyond that, he brings 3D and 4D stuff to us so that he can talk about, communicate, and bring it into a a, 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 a bigger realm. Does that make sense? Make it 3D. But the big question is, how is your leader going to lead you into battles? How is he going to personally protect you? How is he going to help you financially? How is he going to help the society around you, the people that need help, the people that are, have more? How is he going to work on that? How is he going to unify us? How will he guide us and lead us in life? Those are all questions that we need to answer. Now, without God, and I, I lived many years without God, I don't know how I made it. Because when I accepted Jesus, somebody gave me a Bible and the hows are in here. Our leadership gives us a communication tool for us to understand on how to live and how we're going to be led through financial issues, social issues, spiritual issues. How are we going to be led? That's a key question that we should have. But the key answer is that Jesus is this unbelievable Savior that gives us the how and the why. All of these things are great for a future president or politician, but Jesus is no politician, and he didn't come to become president. He came to be our Savior. And it has so much more than just having some great qualities. And there's a lot of great qualities in here that we all have, but our Savior needs to be so much more. And I hope that makes sense. Our Lord has brought us a gift, and we're going through this series called Unexpected Love. And he came and brought us unexpected love to a, to a, a hundredfold than we can ever imagine. I hope that will, will really be unfolded in the message today. That he came just at the right time, as we talked about last week, at the point of humanity's lowest point in, 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 in society. At the lowest ebb, Jesus came at just the right time. And he was this fearless leader. He was this amazing leader. He brought a revolutionary aspect to society that has changed us forever. But the way he led is not the way that we see on these. He wasn't trying to become president. He wasn't out there making promises. He was actually fulfilling prophecy and fulfilling promises. And healing and transforming people one person at a time. He led us by who he was and what he did. That's who he really was. And so we're going to continue on in our series called Unexpected Love. And we're going to talk about the unexpected person of Jesus. Last week we talked about the unexpected timing that he came at a specific time. And today we're going to talk about the unexpected person of Jesus. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? That's what we're going to really talk about today. 
Now, before we do that, I want to back up and I want to talk about our memory verse. Each week we have a memory verse, and our memory verse is, is uh, Romans 5.8. But I want to give you some context today on Romans 5.8. I want to really give it a, a good context, so I added a, two more verses. Verse 6 says, you see, at just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And then there's an interesting verse mixed in the, in the middle of this. It says, very rarely will anyone die for the righteous, or the just is what it would say, uh, a righteous person. Though for a good person, another translation would say, especially good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And here's our memory verse. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ came to the world and died for us. Yesterday I was, I was having lunch at the Habit after the parade and we did some things here. And I was talking about this guy and he asked me, I don't know how we got in this question, but he told me he just got out of the hospital and he's sick. And I was asking if he knew God and I prayed for him. And, and I said, do you know God? And he's like, no, I'm not ready. But if I do get ready, if I clean up myself, I'll really uh, be ready to accept God. And I told him, God doesn't want you to come cleaned up. He wants you to come broken. And he wants to clean up your fleshly life so that you can live a spiritual life. Didn't make sense to him, but uh, maybe next week. The point is this, that Christ came while we were still sinners. And what we receive is so unexpected. So much more. So much more amazing when we have a relationship with Jesus. What do we get in Jesus Christ? From birth, he came as a perfect savior to really lead us at the perfect time in our life. Jesus never comes too early, never too late. He always comes at the right time. And that's kind of where we started last week. I have a picture of Joseph and Mary. Today we're going to go on a journey with them. Joseph and Mary are on a journey. And at the beginning parts of their life, they're constantly, they're like the Fosses in the RV. The Fosses do some RV stuff. They've got a great story if you want to hear about the RV. But they're, this is like the Foss family. They're always traveling. Now, what happened is, to kind of get you up to speed if you don't know the story, the Christmas story is it began in Nazareth, it moved to Bethlehem, and then back to Nazareth. A child was born, angels sing, shepherds come, wise men bring. That's kind of what happens at the beginning of the story. And that's where we pick it up in our story. And from the angels coming and singing and the shepherds come and the wise men come, the family is called to Egypt. And they say maybe two or three years. They don't know exactly how long he was there. But while he was in, G, uh, in Egypt, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Matthew 2.15 says, out of Egypt, I will call my son. So today we're going to go from Matthew 2, verse 19 to 23. And we're going to talk about Jesus of Nazareth and why that makes sense and why that's important to us. So if you're able to stand, if you're willing to stand, will you stand and get our hearts right with God? We do this as another form of worship celebrating who Christ is and how he works in our life. 2.19 says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said to Joseph in Egypt, to Joseph in Egypt, he said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take your child's life are dead. Now, kind of before we get in and finish and pray for the message today, I want you to see what happened here. In a dream, Jesus and his family, Joseph and Mary, are called back into Israel. Now, why are they being called back? 
Last week we talked about that Jesus was born of a woman, a virgin woman, and she, he was born into the law. Jesus needed to come back into the Mosaic law to be under the law of Moses. So God is calling them back to fulfill prophecy born in the Mosaic law so that he can be raised under the law that God had provided. So here we have a map of where we're going as we continue. We've got uh, th- this map that really shares what God is doing here. A journey to Bethlehem, a flight to Egypt. You know, you take a flight to get there quickly. They had to quickly take a, a leave to Egypt. And now we see them descending back into Nazareth. So let's continue. So he got up and took a child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was there reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the town called Nazareth, and so fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now last week at, the, at this point of the message, I told people... Uh, would you pray that God will speak to you as I pray for the message today? And this high school girl came up to me weeping and said, I did that for the first time. I've been at church for a year. And she goes, I truly got something that I haven't really ever had. So my heart is, as I pray, you open up your heart and say, Lord, will you speak to me even through Jeff? That was good. Okay, we'll try that next service, see if that works. But let's pray. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Lord, I know people are praying to you right now. Will you give us a message, a revelation, a blessing? Will you give us an answer through your word? Will you allow us to understand what you're doing in our life? Will you give us something to cling to? Will you bring a praise report? Or will you answer a prayer today as we go through this message? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. My prayer is that we will see Jesus for who he really is today. That's my prayer for you. And I, that's why I've been praying for the last few days is that you will see Jesus for who he really is today. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? We all, if we've been a Christian for years, we understand Jesus. But why of Nazareth? That's a question that we should understand. What does he unexpectedly bring to us? I think some of the things that we gloss over as Christians... Some of the things that we just kind of say, oh, yeah, that's, that's cute, but I really never think about. Here's something I want you to think about. Unexpectedly, Jesus brought a life like you and I. He lived in this world just like you and I did. He was born just like you and I, and he had physical needs of eating and trials and family issues. And the way that he lived, he came upon this earth. Though he never sinned, he still lived this earth with the daily needs that we have in life. That's something that was unexpected. I think we kind of forget about that. Yeah, he was, he was a real person, but he just kind of hovered around the universe. It's not really what happened. He really got up and slept, and, you know, I'm sure he had cold nights and, and hot days, and I'm sure he, his sandal broke once, and then he miraculously put it back together. He had life, and that's something that we need to grab a hold of. He had a life just like you did, that you do. He also unexpectedly has a desire to change your life. He had a desire 2,000 years ago to come into your life and radically transform it. Even 2015, he wanted to change your life. He has a desire. I think that's somewhat unexpected. And the other thing that he was is as he was willingly humble 
before mankind to take what God had asked them to do to come into this world, born of a virgin, under the law. He willingly humbled himself to this earth and to this world so that you and I may have life everlasting. And the text says, on earth as it is in heaven. Christ came so that we'll all go to heaven one day. Amen. That's exciting. But he also says that I want you to have a little bit of that on earth as well. I want you to experience heaven in some aspects on earth. When we hear the amazing uh, um, choir today, I see my mom up there. She's so cute. And uh, she was right up on the front. I was videotaping her. She was actually staring off into Netherland, but she... We'll talk about that later. Uh, but, but, I mean, that's having an experience of heaven on earth, really grabbing a hold of it. And we at Journey try and experience that a lot with our worship and our prayer and all of that. We want to have a little sliver of heaven every so often so that it keeps us moving. Does that make sense? So let's ask some questions and, and let's answer some questions today. Why Nazareth? Why Jesus of Nazareth? Let's answer that. Was he rich or poor? Was Jesus rich or poor? And here's probably the most exciting question that I have. Did Jesus' circumstances affect his ministry? Does he allow his circumstances in his life to affect his ministry? A couple of months ago, me and Jeremy went on this little bromance journey. And we got to hear this speaker. And this speaker said, don't let your circumstances control your walk with God. Let your God control your circumstances. That's what this man told us. And as we were sitting there, you know, I'm trying to write notes and Jeremy remembers everything. So I had to ask him a couple of times what he said. But the importance of it was that we can't let our circumstances affect us. And we'll see how that works in today's message. So here's the first question. Nazareth. What's the deal with Nazareth? What's the meaning? Why is it Jesus of Nazareth? Not just because it's a cool name, but why is it of Nazareth? People in biblical times, in the days of old, were identified by their native area or place of residence. For example, Jesus was carrying the cross and there was this guy named Siren of Cyrene came up. And Simon comes to help Jesus with the cross. Everybody knew him as Simon of Cyrene. And why is that? Because that's where he was from. He was Simon from Cyrene. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but reality was before he began his public ministry, he lived in Nazareth. That is why he said from the books of old in the the Old Testament that he is going to become from Nazareth. Let me give you a real world example. I was born in Cottage Hospital in 1969. But I, yeah, I know, that was a long time ago. (laughs) I was born in Santa Barbara and I've lived all over California, basically trying to leave all the wreckage that I left from behind. I lived in a bunch of cities, but now I've been in Camarillo for 13 or 14 years, so I would be Jeff of Camarillo, right? That's what they would call me today because that's where I reside, and that's what we see with Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he resided until he started his public ministry. Matthew 23 says this. It says, He went to live in a town called Nazareth and so fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. That's our verse today that we're really going to dissect. Matthew 23 tells us that Joseph settled his family in Nazareth after returning back from Egypt. 
And this was to fulfill scripture that says that he would be called a Nazarene. He will have this name and he will be called the Nazarene. When Matthew said this, this was once again fulfilling prophecy. And the prophets were saying in the Old Testament, the the Messiah was going to come and he was going to have these lowly circumstances and he was going to consider himself uh, in a despised condition. Nazarene was lowly, a lowly place to live, and it had despised conditions. And beyond that, people would reject him. That's what the Old Testament says about who Jesus was, that he was going to come. And when he came back to Nazareth, this fulfilled the prophecy because of Jesus being born, uh, raised in this lowly city called Nazareth. I hope that makes sense. I kind of I hope you get grab a hold of that. Now, listen, there's something we never really talk about, but Joseph had a bunch of dreams. Does anybody dream here? I think we talked a little bit about last week. I don't have any dreams, but Joseph has four dreams, and it's really transformed his life. This is the way God spoke to him. He had a dream because he was ready to leave his girlfriend because she's pregnant, and God said no. He had a dream to go to Egypt. He had a dream to come back, and he also had a dream that says, hey, don't go into Judea, go to Nazareth, and that directed him to where he's at. And so, why Nazareth? That's where God wanted him. And the purpose of Nazareth was that it was going to be this lowly place. Now, in the Bible, we see the first time Jesus of Nazareth is used is in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we see it, and it's at the end where... It's talked about in verse uh, 145, we see Philip use this, John chapter 1, and he calls him Jesus of Nazareth. Now, when Philip says this, he's actually making a statement about Jesus's lowly upbringing, his lowly lifestyle, that he was born on the wrong side of the tracks. And if you know this part, Jesus is actually going around and saying, hey, come and follow me. He tells that to Philip. And then Philip and Andrew and Peter were from Bethsaida, and they followed him. And then they came to Nathaniel and say, hey, come and follow us. We found Jesus, the one that Moses was talking about. And, and in verse 46, uh, Nathaniel's response is, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's what we see here in this text. And basically what he's saying is, this is not the best place in town. Now, we could think about it. There's some places in Camarillo that you might say are bad spots. There are places in Ventura, Newberry Park. There's places all over that would be considered bad spots. Oh, you don't really want to come from there. They're the other side of the track. And that's what they're saying. To come from Nazareth or to be a Nazarene was a derogative term, and it was kind of an insult. Oh, you're one of them. You're from that part of town. It wasn't a great thing to be called. So why Nazareth? Well, let me kind of just close with this mindset. Jesus came to live humbly. If Jesus came and was this rich aristocrat and he became the savior of the world, people with lower mindsets would struggle to believe in Jesus because they're like, oh, of course he was a savior. He was well-trained. He had all this money. He was, he was well-provided for. Of course he would be rich, and that's the only person that could achieve that. But him coming at a lowly avenue, even rich people can respect that because many rich people have gone from nothing to something. And so Jesus had to come at a low level in a place that people would be despised and a place that he could grow from and everybody in the world could receive that, knowing that Jesus came from the bad part of town. 
So let's, I think we kind of beat that one to a horse. Let's answer the next question. Was Jesus rich or poor? Was he a rich man or was he a poor man? Well, the Bible tells us this in Matthew 8.20. This kind of sets us up for this. 8.20 says, but Jesus said, foxes have dens to live in, birds have uh, nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Now, we would say that he's homeless. When we say we're homeless in society, that generally means we don't have a ton of provision to live day in and day out without having this beautiful covering. Jesus is saying that he's homeless. It means that he didn't have a bunch of provision, but he wasn't saying that he's poor. He's just saying, I don't have a place to rest my head. I'm sure he was staying at many people's houses. He was invited into many different places. There was a year or two in my life that I was couch surfing very successfully. I'll explain couch surfing to some of you a little bit later. Uh, jumping from one couch to another, didn't really have a place to go. Jesus was basically saying, I, I have no place to lay my head. What that means for us is Jesus lived in relative poverty. He was living a little bit lower than most people were. Back in those days, there was a ton of people in poverty. Solomon was blessed with significant wealth. David, King David, had a humble beginning and a wealthy ending. But the apostles and Jesus lived relatively low. Low life, low standards, uh, with a little less money. They followed Jesus even though they were going to be persecuted and martyrdom. They followed him knowing that it was worth it. And they were not regarded as wealthy people. We just went through the book of Acts for about a year and three months. And we see that there's not a bunch of people that are regarded with a bunch of wealth. But what they did do was they took all their resources, everything that they had, and tried to move the gospel forward. So that today we could celebrate Jesus in a beautiful building in Camarillo and experience who he is and what he is. So Jesus was born of a lowly town called Nazareth, despised and rejected. Nothing good would come from that place. And it also says that he really didn't have a, uh, these, this wealthy provision that guided him. And he wasn't a trust fund baby with a lot of money to go out and do this mission. So he really wasn't what we would call rich in the physical sense or in the earthly sense. He was only rich because he had a relationship with uh, with God. And it was a powerful relationship. And he came to share that relationship with you and I so that we can also have that rich relationship. God could make something out of nothing, right? In your life. He said, I'm going to bring my son and I'm going to humbly bring him to the lowest point at the lowest point of society. And I'm going to make him the savior of the world so that other people in society back then and today can do the same. Take something and, 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 and make it out of nothing. Amen? Amen? So here's the final question. Circumstances. We all have circumstances in our life. We have kids and well, we, we don't have kids. We have jobs and then we don't have jobs. We have mortgages and then we don't have mortgages. We have cars that break down. We have all these circumstances that are, are in our life. And the question is, did Jesus allow these circumstances to affect him? A lot of times people are, I think Jer- Jeremy coined this several months ago, a Debbie Downer. The, we allow our circumstances, oh, I don't have enough money for this, and I, don't, I can't do that, and I'm not gifted in this, and I don't do these things. And we allow our circumstances to hold us back, and we would be considered Debbie Downers. And the truth is, Jesus didn't allow that to happen. 
Jesus of Nazareth has had the largest impact in the world that anyone could ever record. From before he was born and after he's born, no one on earth has done even anything close to what Jesus has done. Nothing. And the people that have made huge impacts... Most of them had followed Jesus. Mother Teresa was following Jesus. Martin Luther King following Jesus. Some great patriarchs in the day that were following Jesus had great impacts. But nowhere near the impact that we have and what we've seen in Jesus Christ. He had a radical transformation into this society. What he brought has rippling effects that are still radically changing people's lives today. He did not allow him being born on the other side of the street, the other side of the tracks, or not having a ton of wealth hold him back. because Not just because he was God, but he was going to push through and show that anyone in any part of society can be radically transformed by following Jesus. Does that make sense? So let me, answer the, or let me ask the question, how did he do that? As we close today's message, that the idea, how... Did he do that? Well, what Jesus did was he gave sermons. He's taught. And then he showed. He he said something and then he did what he said. If he gave a promise, he fulfilled that promise. That's how he did it. One of my favorite pieces of scripture, actually it's not my favorite piece of scripture. It's one of the most powerful pieces of scripture that I use day in and day out uh, when I communicate with people after church or during throughout the week. It's in Matthew chapter 3. And this is how Jesus transformed and changed people. It says, Matthew 5, 3, it says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is how he did it. He came in and he said, Listen, I'm going to give you a sermon. And the Sermon on the Mount is this compliment, uh, a compilation of all these things that Jesus said in the sermon. And it's the most powerful sermon ever preached. And, and what happens is it begins with this statement. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's how he did it. The question then becomes, why would God want us to be poor in spirit? Why would our Father in heaven want us to be poor in spirit? Why would God of the universe want us to be poor at all? You would think that he wants to give us provision and blessing and homes and all these things. But the truth is, Jesus' beginning of this sermon says... Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the Beatitudes, as Jesus begins this sermon, he's not concerned about your material stuff. He's concerned about the darkness in your life and the spiritual realities that you need in your life to expose the darkness. He's interested in how he can transform you. And the way he can do that is coming in with the spiritual reality of darkness in your life being exposed by the light of Jesus. And taking us away from this earthly mindset that through power and money and property and provision that my life is going to be blessed. He's trying to take us out of that mindset. He says, I don't want you to live like that. Here's what I was told when I first came into Camarillo and I was trying to radically change my life. Here's what I was told. Dummy down, stupid. Let me tell that again. Dummy down, stupid. 
This was the message that I had to hear because sometimes our mind goes so far, it wanders, and we need to slow it down, dummy down, to receive this message. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. Dummy down and the kingdom will be yours. Don't let your intellect or your property or something get between you and God. Dummy down and all this will be yours. And you will have a better life and you will probably actually have more provision because you've dummied down enough to receive the blessing from God. On that, I'm going to invite the band back up. And then I want to close this dummy down stupid mentality. Probably the best analogy I've ever done so far. Some of you are really grabbing a hold of that. But uh, uh, my buddy Randy, he's a pastor here. He's been working with a bunch of guys. And he's taking people on this book called A.W. Tozer's uh, um, The Pursuit of God. And if you've ever read this book, it's like, it's only, it's small. It's not big at all. It's 60, 70, 80 pages. It's one of those small books. You think you could read it in, you know, two hours. The way I read it took me a couple days. But... The stuff is so meaty, it's hard to grasp. But listen, I'm going to throw one of his quotes out. It says this, A.W. Tozer says, The blessed ones who possess the kingdom are they who have repudiated, that means rejected, every external thing. Those are the blessed ones. And they have rooted their hearts, all the sense, they have rooted from their hearts all the sense of possessing. These are the poor in spirit. Let me say that again so that you can grab a hold of it. The blessed ones who possess the kingdom of God are the ones who have rejected or repudiated everything external. And they have rooted from their hearts all the sensing of possessing. He's basically saying here, the people that don't worry about the material stuff in life, the power, the money, the wealth, the big bank accounts, the nice cars, he says, when they've rooted them, when they pulled this wheat from the roots, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're talking about. Doesn't mean that you can't have houses and cars and possessions. It says that you're not driven by them and they're not your God. You're rejecting it saying, yeah, I have a place to stay. I have a car that drives, but it's not really who I am. My Honda Accord doesn't tell the world who I am. It just gets me to go from A to B. And it got me here today so I didn't have to walk. Looking at that video, I needed to walk a little bit, but uh... <laughs> to be poor in spirit is to recognize that I am utterly and spiritually bankrupt before God. That's what the message says here. How do we do this? Jesus came from Nazareth and he brought this unexpected love. Look, I'm going to come. I'm going to come from a bad part of town. I'm going to be despised and rejected and I'm going to come and I'm not going to have a home. And I'm going to show the world that if they're willing to live like I, spiritually bankrupt without God, Jesus was teaching us, go to God with everything. Being spiritually bankrupt before God. This understanding is saying to us as individuals that I have really nothing of worth to offer God. I can't really bring God anything like the wise men brought Jesus' gifts. I got nothing. I'm utterly bankrupt. I'm spiritually poor and need God in my life. By admitting that I'm spiritually poor and believing that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, because of that and my sin, I have to understand that I'm destitute without God. I need a Savior. 
I'm destitute and I can do nothing to deliver myself from a dire situation. We as individuals look to Jesus of Nazareth so that we can be whole, we can be complete, and we need a Savior. To kind of close this up today, I want to kind of say this. No matter what your status is in life, no matter where your heart is, where your bank account is in the positive or the negative, today might happens to be in the positive. It's not always there, but today it is. And that's a blessing. We all need to understand, and one of the reasons we come to church and celebrate Jesus is that we can understand being poor in spirit. And that if we are poor in spirit, we can receive all that God has for us on earth as it is in heaven. Why does he say both? Most of us kind of just think, oh, I've accepted Jesus. It's all about heaven. But the truth is, it's on earth as it is in heaven. We today need to have something from God so that we can experience more about his spiritual work. God wants to bless us all no matter what our status is, no matter where we live how we live, home or no home, he wants to bless us. Proverbs 22, 2 says this, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of all of them. That's what we have in common today. Now here's the last question or thought. What do you expect from the love of Jesus? If you really did a deep search in your soul, what do you expect from the love of Jesus? I'm I'm pretty sure we're not supposed to bet in church, but I'm going to bet you here. I'm going to bet you that even if you know Jesus, my brother John always writes me, do you know him? And even if you know Jesus, I'm going to bet that the unexpected love of Jesus, most of us still haven't tapped into, including myself. There's so much more to God. He's so much bigger, better, deeper, wider than we can ever imagine that we truly can't expect what we have. He, we need to expect the unexpected in Jesus Christ because we never know. Why is it that each and every day I have believed in Jesus, my life has gotten better? Not perfect, but gotten better. And I found something new in the Bible and the way that I live my life. I've, I've fallen away and I've come back and I've expected Jesus and he's done great and amazing things in my life. Expect more from Jesus because he will bring you unexpected grace and mercy. He will bring in great provision when you need it and he will bring you hope in the most dire situation. And I don't need to remind you, but I am going to remind you that people around you are hurting. This is a tough time for over 50% of the country. Because not everybody has the provision to be blessed, to buy their family gifts the way that they want to give. They're not going to be the provisions for the iPads and the PlayStation 4 and all these things that we want. Just know that everybody around us, 50% of the people are going to struggle this holiday. And feel less than because of Christmas. Our job is to surround them with the unexpected love of Jesus. Speak into their life. And allow them to be living in the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Lord, we have an expectation of your love. 
I just don't know if it's real, Lord. I pray as we come before you with our hearts wide open, being willing to accept you as Lord and Savior, will you give us a portion of that unexpected love that we can walk on, that we can move in, that we can be radically transformed? Will you open up our heart into a new place as we get ready to sing some songs to celebrate you? As we move into this holiday season, will you give provision where provision is needed? Love and grace where that is needed. Will you allow this Christmas, if it's a big one or a small one, to be the best one that we've ever experienced because of you? Father, we love you and we praise you. And I pray today if there's someone here that wants to give the best gift to this world, which is their life to Jesus. If there is someone here today that would like to do that, you can repeat after me and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can be poor in spirit and receive so much from God, so much unexpected love. If that's you, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. I know that you died and that you rose again so that I may have everlasting life. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit. Bless me with the understanding of being poor in spirit so that I can live a life everlasting. In your name.